the whole ecosystem came from a decentralized mindset, borderless mindset. And then suddenly you put a rope, a, a leash around the industry, it is definitely not an easy thing to do. Welcome to Consensus Distributed from Coindesk, where you'll find live recorded talks and discussions from Coindesk events and more. Today's talk was recorded live at Coindesk Distributed on May 11th, 2020. This episode is sponsored by ErisX, the Stellar Development Foundation, and Grayscale Digital Large Cap Fund. In this session, guests Alexandre Kesh of OnChain Custodian, Malcolm Wright from Diginex, Anson Zell of Access, and Hugh Madden of BC Group speak about the multi-jurisdictional complexities related to the FATF's travel rule. This session is hosted by Jun Heng Lee of Gopax and Christy Choi from Binance. Hi, uh, welcome to Capital Controls Asia Edition um, Travel Rule Session. Uh, my name is Jun Heng Lee. I'm the CEO and founder of Gopax, one of the leading Korean exchanges. Um, and here with me is Christy from Binance. Hello, Christy's here back. All right, so um, this session, since we have like four guests and the time is pretty limited, um, why don't we just give a quick, quick round of in intros, uh, starting from um, Alex. Yeah, sure, Alex Monorakesho, CEO and co-founder of OnChain Custodian, a digital asset custody uh, service in Singapore. And then we have Malcolm. Hi, yeah, I'm Malcolm Wright. I'm Chief Compliance Officer at uh, Diginex. I'm also the Advisory Council Chair at uh, Global Digital Finance. And then we have Anson. Yes, uh, I'm, hi everyone, I'm Anson Zeal. I'm the chair of uh, Access, the Blockchain and Currency Association in Singapore, as well as the exec director for uh, IDAXA. And then we also have Hugh. Hi, I'm the uh, CEO of a listed company called uh, BC Group, uh, which happens to be the owner of the uh, digital asset powerhouse OSL. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, let me go just like straight into the questions uh, since we have four guests again and, and 15 minutes. Um, so in the first place, do you think it's, it's, it's possible for a crypto company to fully comply with travel rule? Um, what's your opinion, Hugh? Uh, yes, but with caveats. Um, it, it, there must be an impact on the user experience. So, so many firms in the industry have been trying to find ways where it can be done transparently without impacting the user at all. And there is currently not enough people complying, um, nor, any, or, nor any solutions and standards in place that allow it to be done right now. However, compliance can be done right now, but only by blocking deposits and withdrawals um, from, from your users and, and quite frankly, causing them quite a lot of friction, but it is possible. So what's your view, Anson? Do you think well, it's possible? Yes, uh, uh, in short, I do agree with um, what, what he was saying. I think the main principle that a lot of regulators don't understand is that we came the whole ecosystem came from a decentralized mindset, borderless mindset. And then suddenly you put a rope, a, a leash around the industry, it is definitely not an easy thing to do. Um, so. We are, um, the industry is working with the regulators, but mm -hmm. uh, not everyone was uh, survived the new new compliance rules. That's for sure. Uh, so, exactly with the caveats, uh, but also uh, how how it moves forward. More communication between the industry and the ecosystem is needed. Right. Uh, industry and the regulators is needed. 
So what are your opinions, um, Alex? Uh, I think it will depend as well on the type of customer uh, you're targeting. So for companies like on-chain custodian, we're targeting more uh, corporate, institutional, and high net worth individuals with not that many volume uh, volume in terms of transactions, but more high volume transaction. Um, it's it's manageable in the sense that uh, there are less flows to uh, focus on. It will be complicated for companies focusing on retail. Uh, again, depending on, on whether regulators impose thresholds under which you don't have to uh, apply the travel rule and uh, other uh, and uh, thresholds over uh, which you will have to apply the travel rule. But it's still very unclear, uh, to be honest. I, I don't know what my co-panelists think, but uh, I, I still need a lot of we still need a lot of clarity in some jurisdictions on how it will be effectively uh, implemented. Mm. Malcolm. I think, yeah, technically it's it's possible. Um, as you said, there's caveats. There's there's a, a couple of major problems that we, we have at the moment. Um, the first is the identification of your counterparty BASP. So if we as a BASP, we want to, you know, if I want to have a client who wants to send uh, tokens to, to, to uh, Hughes Group, um, that would be difficult at the moment because we first of all have to identify that that wallet actually belongs to, to ourselves, for example. Um, that then would create a, an issue with regards to um, ensuring that the information you want to send is going to the right party. Um, the next problem is actually looking at who can you send to. Can you only send to licensed counterparties? Can you, you send to any counterparty? Um, and, and that's the next problem is in if you only send to licensed ones, how do you actually determine uh, are they licensed? What happens if no licenses exist, as this is the case in a lot of jurisdictions today? So there are these these challenges that, that we've still got to work through, but the fundamentals of can it be done? Yes, um, but it's going to take time still to, to actually move from the planning work that we've spent over the last year into this now period of execution. So you just think it's not going to happen all at once, but like how, how, how long do you think it's going to take uh, to be able to, for a jurisdiction to fully enforce um, the travel rule upon, uh, you know, VASTs? I think we're, we're, I think we're, we're um, you know, we've spent the last year, for example, uh, a lot of the technical solutions providers have, have prepared uh, technical solutions for allowing the, the transport of information from one party to another. Um, there are also uh, groups within the, the BASF community and also the banking community that are, are looking at um, building uh, solutions that, that can really get things going. Um, parallel to this, we've been working, uh, myself or everybody on this call actually has been involved in a group called the Joint Working Group for InterVASF Messaging Standards. Uh, that's intervasf.org. And we released a standard last week on the messaging protocol. That really is the foundation, the information that has to be transferred from one party to the other. Um, realistically, it will take uh, some months yet to actually work through, in my opinion. Um, so I think, you know, um, realistically, sort of another three months to sort of pilot and start putting solutions in place, uh, some more months to really sort of beta test that and roll that out, and then look at interoperability with, with solutions between different mm -hmm. BASPs. Um, so it, I, in my opinion, it could be another year, maybe, before we actually see this body um, starting to, to really um, be widely adopted. Support for this podcast and this message come from ErisX. With ErisX, you can trade spot and regulated futures on cryptocurrencies through a licensed U.S.-based exchange. ErisX believes in fair access for all. 
Sign up today to take advantage of zero fees and learn more at erisx.com slash consensus. This episode is also sponsored by the Stellar Foundation. The Stellar Network connects your business to the global financial infrastructure. Whether you're looking to power a payment application or issue digital assets like stable coins or digital dollars, Stellar is easy to learn and fast to implement. Start your journey today at stellar.org slash coindesk. Our final sponsor is Grayscale Digital Large Cap Fund. In times like these, diversification is key. Consider Grayscale Digital Large Cap Fund, ticker symbol GDLC. It's the only publicly traded investment product that offers diversified exposure to large cap digital currencies, all from your brokerage account. For more information, visit grayscale.co slash coindesk. That's G-R-A-Y scale dot C-O slash coindesk. Is there any other view among uh, the members of the of the panel? That's certainly the um, uh, go ahead, uh, after you. <laughs> uh, just uh, just very quickly, um, how uh, during the V20 uh, in 2019, when we spoke to uh, uh, some of the FedEx uh, secretariat. It was basically um, the strategy was trying to get the advanced nations within the FedEx member groups to uh, get them to have the licenses, get them to comply. Uh, once they see the member countries starting to uh, uh, understand and comply with the uh, virtual asset uh, rules that the FedEx guidelines have in place, then they'll start pushing the other countries to also follow. So that's the strategy. It won't be a once-off. It will. It will take time to actually push through all member countries. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, what, what I feel, what we are seeing evolve in, in front of us is a Frankenstein. And it's an unfortunate Frankenstein, but it's inevitable. Now, the main reason for this is because how old community um, philosophy is very um, privacy-oriented. We want no data leakage. We want only peer-to-peer um, communication um, of, of our users' information. So we're all very, very distrustful of central police, police databases, you know, and, and centralised databases, which would make it much easier to roll out a kind of a global homogenous system. Um, and the, the other factor is very different paces of enforcement and rollout in each of the jurisdictions. Uh, our, our own footprint is mainly in Singapore and Hong Kong, and in our jurisdictions, um, it's coming in fairly quickly. So we're looking at pragmatic bilateral solutions that need to be in place probably this year. However, other major jurisdictions like, like the UK and the US seem to be taking a much slower pace, and they also seem to be very, um, you know, uh, very domestic-focused. Mm. And finally, you've got um, jurisdictions like Japan, which tend to be very introverted and focusing on their, their own solution. Mm-hmm. So what we see is absolutely inevitable is as, as a global business, we will need to be integrating with this whole Frankenstein of different jurisdictional systems mm. and standards. Um, so it's going to be a, a real mess for years to come. Um, totally. Yeah, and that's why uh, on our side, we, we're hoping for a maximum collaboration between uh, not only the industry players, like uh, we've demonstrated with the IVMS standard mm-hmm. and, and other discussions, but also between technical providers. Uh, generally, these guys would compete with one another and, 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 and look at offering what they consider the best solution. but. I don't think there will be no best solution out there unless they talk to one another and try to interoperate quickly 
fairly quickly, not before, uh, not hoping that uh, they're gonna uh, they're gonna lead to they're gonna have a winner takes it all type of approach where they're, they're gonna win everybody every, everybody on the market. So it's not gonna happen like that. So that's my major fear is that the technical providers or the solution or the protocols that are put in place are not interoperable, and we came as a Frankenstein monster on the regulation side as well, but on the technical side as well uh, for implementation. So I guess we just have like two more minutes left. Uh, I think I just have like one final question uh, to ask for your insight if there's any insight. So you guys discussed that it could well may well be the uh, kind of like a Frankenstein, uh, the the regime of the whole like travel rule and and compliance. Um, what do you think it would sort of like look like? Would it be somewhat similar to uh, the previous uh, the internet sort of ICANN regime type of uh, you know protocol or governance, or would it be somewhat more dispute distributed? Or like, uh, is there any 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 view, any any insight on on, on, on this 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 thing? Well, the super quick one. Um, implying Frankenstein set involving intensely more professional and institutional uh, counterparts. And what we'll also see is, frankly, where the bulk of the volumes is, um, retail-focused venues that are, that are paying a lot of regulatory arbitrage and, and, and um, subject to maybe delaying the enforcement of that compliance. And so what we're seeing is this split-off. We're going to be seeing, we're seeing this large retail, unregulated um, kind of uh, section of the crypto industry which is not complying and won't for some time. And we're seeing a, a separate, more professionally focused and plus also smaller um, set of the digital economy which uh, is, is rolling out its compliance. Sounds oh. good. Do you have any other questions? I think I'm done with my, my, my question. I think we're running out of time. So uh, thank you so much for everyone uh, for joining the session and sharing your insights. Uh, we're very sorry that we'll have to let you go, but uh, thank you so much. You've been listening to Crypto Talks from Coindesk. For new, short daily episodes, you can subscribe with Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. This session featured Alexandra Kesh, Malcolm Wright, Anson Zell, Hugh Madden, Jun Hang Lee, and Christy Choi. It was recorded live during Consensus Distributed 2020.